Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Man, God is calling you to repent and come back. He's calling you as that prodigal son or prodigal daughter to, to come back because the father's, he's sitting on, on, on the porch and he's got his waist girded up, you know, like we've been talking about. He's ready to run after you as soon as you turn back. And some of you might be on this side. So he's ready to run after you when you turn back to him because that's the grace and the mercy of God. But don't take his grace for granted because the other thing that we know is a loving father will discipline his children. In today's message, Pastor David continues his study of Paul's discipline of certain actions within the Corinthian church. When you experience salvation, you're enabled to live a new life that seeks God's standard instead of sinful or worldly tendencies. God's grace is available to all and should be extended to others who make mistakes or sinful choices. Though the grace of God is free and abundant, God's plan is that your life be steered away from sin, seek forgiveness, and be changed. Now here's Pastor David with part three of today's message entitled, In-House Cleaning. How do you deal with it out in the world? Well, let me give you a hint. He was known as the friend of sinners, and gluttons, and wine-bibbers, and tax collectors. How do you think he dealt with them? I think he dealt with them with compassion and love. Why? Because they were goats. You can't expect them to act like sheep. They need to be born again. And when they're born again, they're born as sheep. But again, by the spirit and power of God, their lives are then changed from the inside out. There's a fine line that needs to be established. I I understand that. But when we're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the love of Christ, we need to be friends of sinners. Not of the sin, but friends of sinners. You might be the only Bible, the only sermon, that they ever read or hear because they'll see Christ living in you. You see, if we say, oh no, I've got on my white outfit. I got my white go to church outfit on. I don't want to get it stained by anything in the world. And so we avoid anybody and everybody that is in the world because their language doesn't fit ours, because their lifestyle doesn't fit ours, because their actions and because their focus of their life and desires of their life don't fit ours. And we just keep ourselves from that, beloved. Suddenly we put a basket over our light, haven't we? We've come, we've become a bless me church. Just we four no more come inside and close the door. We don't want to get soiled. We don't want to get spoiled. We want to stay just nice and tidy. 
Paul wanted them to know. He was in no way telling them, telling them to withdraw from every sinful person they come in contact. But for those who say that they're a part of the family of God, believers in Jesus Christ, and yet they continue to live their lives in blatant sinfulness and disregard for the word of God and for righteousness, he says, you know what? You need to separate them from your midst. And this is where we have that problem that I was telling you about. One of the great problems of our current society. Most Christians today, and I know I'm painting a wide brush, but I believe it's, it's, it's necessary. Most Christians today don't recognize or submit themselves to spiritual authorities. They just don't. And I believe that that's worldwide, but in particular in the Western culture, we're that way. It's not as much in the Eastern cultures because, again, they're more used to the authorities over them, uh, kings and princes and those kinds of things. No, but here in the West, no, we're rugged individualists and hey, nobody got no authority over me. I'm, I'm just my own person. I'm going to live my life the way that I want to. Oh, yeah, and I'm going to live my life for you, Jesus. You see, we don't want to bow ourselves, and that's probably not the right word. We don't want to submit ourselves. Let me use that word. We don't want to submit ourselves to anyone in the area of spiritual authority. And because of that, church discipline is seldom effective. Simply because the offending party, they get spoken to within the church, within the confines of the elders or the pastors, and rather than submit to the authority, that's okay, I don't need you. I'm gonna go two blocks down here. There's another church with another name, with another congregation, and I'll fit in really good there. And so we go to where we don't have to deal with authority in our lives, and we're not submitted to authority, and so the maturity is lacking because of that. Some denominations, they try for church discipline in a variety of, of ways, but, but too many people, really, even in denominations, they're more than satisfied to even change denominations rather than change their sinful acts, rather than be submitted to those that call them to discipline and call them to repentance. And yet many of those churches, they have a solid stance on membership, that membership to the local body, or to the denomination. And, you know, they hope that the folks would understand, hey, membership does have its privileges. But for a lot of people, it just doesn't matter at all. There's good and bad in membership versus non-membership. And that's not my point. The point is, very few today are willing to subject themselves to correct church discipline. And that's true with a congregation as well as to the leadership. And I've known way too many pastors Pastors who have fallen in some major area in their lives for a while, they, they submitted themselves to church discipline, to counseling, to accountability, only to, you know, in a couple of weeks or maybe a couple of months, they have this self-diagnosis of saying, hey, you know, I, I'm okay now. I got over that. I'm, I'm not, I don't deal with that anymore. I'm okay. And those that are trying to, again, disciple them and, and get them back reconciled to the church, they say, no, you're really not okay. There's still a lot of issues in you. Hey, I think that I'm okay. Well, no, you're really not okay. We can't let you back into the ministry. That's fine. I'll go start my own new independent church. You see, that's one of the issues that we do have in our culture. And I'm not saying that every independent church is that way. 
just want to let you know I was not kicked out of Calvary Chapel, Sierra Vista, okay? We came out with full blessing. Maybe more blessing that would go, I don't know. But that's one of the problems of our culture. Because both congregation and leadership are not submitted to authority. And in their wake, those who are not willing to submit to authority, whether it be a member, and particularly those who are in leadership, in their wake of non-submission, they, they leave damaged people behind, and damaged ministries behind. If you've been watching the news at all, you know that just this week there was a, a youth pastor that was arrested up in the Phoenix area for a, a relationship that he had with a 15-year-old girl for two years. This youth pastor is married, has kids. How much damage has he caused? First of all, with that young girl. That's, that's going to be with her in her entire life. And then with his wife and his kids. And then the youth ministry itself. And then that whole church. We've been involved in, Tot and I have been involved in a couple of different churches where there was, again, infidelity with the leadership, with the pastor. Beloved, it, it does severe, severe damage. But it does it even with membership that, again, folks that are allowed to continue in disobedience, and then when they're called to disobedience, they say, forget you. I'll go two blocks down, go to the other church. We've gone through that a few times in this ministry, haven't we, Robert? People that we've stopped and talked and prayed with and counseled, and yet they just leave us, go to another ministry, and they continue on their happy way. Sometimes pastors take heed They'll call and say, hey, so-and-so said he used to go to your church or she used to go to your church. Let's move on. 1 Corinthians 5. In verse 11, Paul again, he, he recounts to them what he had already written to them. Okay, so he's telling them once again what he's written to them. And that tells me that the Corinthian church was probably made up of mostly men. Because the truth is, we men usually don't get it the first time. I mean, think about it. The apostles were men. They didn't get it the entire time they were with Jesus. Let's move on to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Paul here is recounting for them what he had already written to them. That tells me that the Corinthian church was probably made out of mostly men. Okay, a couple of you got it. Okay. Verse 11, anyway. He says, but now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. How many of you are glad he didn't name your sin? Eh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm good with that. Let me ask you this. Do you think that's an exhaustive list? I don't think so. I think he's trying to get the general understanding. Hey, people that are living these kinds of lifestyles, and similar to that, again, you've got to take that stand continually, and they're purposefully living their lives like non-believers. They're thoroughly engrossed in the pagan culture rather than being grossed out by it. And no matter what their particular sin is or was, they continue on in it, knowing that in God's eyes, it's wrong. Oh, but I'm covered by the blood of the lamb. 
You see, one of the great problems of grace ministries in preaching and teaching the reality and the truth of the biblical standard that we are saved by grace and not by works is that we way, way too often take grace for granted. And say, well, God loved me that way. Surely he'll love me now and I can continue on. Well, there's two areas here. Number one, and I'll just divide you up. I'll take you guys first. Okay. If you're living that way, and you're just proclaiming, hey, I can live any way that I want to, then the question really might be is, are you really and truly saved? Because if that's your heart attitude, then I really wonder where the Holy Spirit is in your life. And if you feel you can just continue to live that way and get along that way, my question to you is, are you really saved? Now you guys, if you're living that way, and you're wondering, man, have I blown it? Have I blown it so totally bad that God could never forgive me because I've done some really wretched things even since I've been a believer? Let me tell you that the grace and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Now, there's two sides to that coin. Do you understand that? You can't blatantly say, hey, once saved, always saved. I'm in like Flynn, not a problem. Because the real question when you have that attitude is whether you're saved or not. But the other understanding is, is if you have fallen away from the Lord and you've struggled in areas with your life, and yet it's, you know that struggle is in there and it's real in your life, the man, God is calling you to repent and come back. He's calling you as that prodigal son or prodigal daughter to, to come back because the father's, he's sitting on, on, on the porch and he's got his waist girded up, you know, like we've been talking about. He's ready to run after you as soon as you turn back. And some of you might be on this side. So he's ready to run after you when you turn back to him because that's the grace and the mercy of God. But don't take his grace for granted because the other thing that we know is a loving father will discipline his children. A loving father will discipline his children. Now what's gonna happen to this poor guy here? He gets kicked out of the church and, and they're gonna give his flesh over to Satan. Man, just have your, let the world have their way with him in order that his soul might be saved. Well, we read in 2 Corinthians, don't we, a little bit later, hey, hey, by the way, that guy, <laughs> don't forget about him. Bring him back into your fellowship unless he loses absolute hope. They, they've had to remove him, but if repentance is come to his life, then man, bring him back into the fellowship and you need to encourage him. You need to surround him with your love and get this guy back on the track, back into focus, back into uh, discipleship with the Lord. Why? Because God's not finished with him yet. Because discipline is for the reason of reconciliation. And again, redirecting our lives in repentance and in the pursuit of righteousness. Paul says, if someone persists in living like that, and he says he's a believer, just stay away from him. I believe he's saying that keeping company with him is worse for the testimony of Christ than keeping company with a non-believer. Catch that, please. Keeping company with the Christian who continues to be in flagrant disregard and disrespect for the word and command of God is worse for you 
and that individual who is living that way than it is for you to be hanging around with a non-believer. The testimony of Christ is damaged because the world hears them declare that they're Christ followers and yet they see them living just like a non-believer would live. And so the power of Christ has nothing for the lost world. You say you're saved, (laughs) look at the way you live. Man, I live better than you do and you say you're a Christian. It also does damage to the individual who's hanging with them. For you as an individual to hang with that that Christian who continually, flagrantly, repeatedly living like the world does damage to you because it becomes way too easy to be pulled into their sinful choices and lifestyle. By your very presence, you're condoning their sin. And so rather than really being challenged by you in that, no, pretty soon we find ourselves being sucked into their sin. That's the danger. That's the danger. What makes it worse, makes it worse for the rebellious one, if believers continue to hang around, continue to let them be a part of the fellowship, continue as though nothing has changed, they they live any way they desire, everything remains the same, they don't see any outside consequences. Their, their conscience becomes seared, and in their minds, if it's okay with you, then it's probably okay with God. After all, I think you're a pretty good Christian, and you hang out with me all the time, regardless of my sin. You see, that's why church discipline is so necessary. That's why for you and I, even as Paul says, this isn't just a church thing. No, this is an individual. Now, I know that we can take that way the other way. I, man, there's been church movements as I've grown through the years and learned of these ones. Uh, I mean, even to the point that, uh, you know, you're walking in the grocery store and man, they just shun you and they just turn around and walk the other way. I don't think that's what Paul is saying. I think what he's saying is, don't be hanging with them. Don't act as if there's nothing wrong because there is something wrong. They need to see that and understand that. That doesn't mean that we shut ourselves off completely to them because, beloved, the door's got to be open somewhere for repentance to happen. And if we shut the door completely to them, where do they go? Friends at the bar, they're more accepting than my church is. Friends down at you know, wherever... You know, you want to hang out when you're running from God. You know, they're, they're, I'm more comfortable with them than guys at the church because everybody at the church totally shuns me. I don't think we need to shun, but there does need to be that separation point that they understand and know, hey, things are not right with you and God. Don't pretend that they are. I love you. I care about you, but I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Paul wraps this whole section and this whole thought up speaking about judging. Now that's a touchy subject, isn't it? I mean, after all, who are you to judge me? God's judgment comes toward the non-believer as far as salvation and redemption. Are they on the inside or are they on the outside of his kingdom? But for you and I, we need to recognize sin when it's in the house. Word of God says, where's judgment going to start, church? Within the house of God. Within the house of God. Paul says in verse 12, he says, for what have I to do with judging those also who are outside the church? Do you not judge those who are 
inside the church, but those who are outside, God judges. And again, his judgment is toward salvation and redemption. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Do you notice that Paul, he never said anything about the woman. And you got to think about that for a minute. Most believe that she was probably not a confessing Christian. And so Paul's issue wasn't with the woman. She's, she's a goat. She's acting like a goat. She needs salvation. It's not, it's not the job of the church to rebuke her. It's the job of the church to show her Christ and to bring her to him. There's nothing the church can do other than, again, point her to Christ. But sheep are supposed to act like sheeps. We need to recognize, we need to point out the problem when the sheep act like goats. How do you, how we do that, how can we do that without judging in some form or fashion? How, how can we really point out the fact of what's going on in an individual's life without having some kind of way or ability to be able to judge that? It needs to be done, but as I said earlier, it needs to be done with that biblical standard of love and compassion toward those that are sinning without promoting or honoring or encouraging their sin. The sin needs to be dealt with and and rebuked. And all of this being dealt with, again, as I said earlier, because there's enough men here, it has to be dealt with, with sadness in reference to the spiritual status of that offender, but surrounded by that understanding of holy fear, both for that individual for those that are involved, and for the consequences of the church as a whole. And above all that, as the word says, taking heed to yourselves. You see, none of us are above falling. In fact, some of us are more prone to falling than others. You see, that's the encouragement that we have of staying within the fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ. So that when I'm struggling, when the enemy is attacking on every side, I can call out to a brother. We can lock arms. And as the word of God says, man, we come and we strengthen those who have feeble knees. We lift up those, those trembling hands. That's what we're to do with each other, sister to sister, brother to brother, couple to couple. And again, that again, we can see God working, not because we're all perfect, but because we're all pursuing after the things that God wants us to pursue after and not being overwhelmed by the things that the world throws at us. Beloved, there are sinners everywhere, including inside this room. As a matter of fact, on every chair that's seated right now, I've noticed that uh, they're sinners. We've got a great Savior, but we don't want to take that for granted. He saved us for his glory and for his honor. We saved us, he saved us in order that we might be his representatives to a lost and dying world. But when the world looks at us and sees us and notices absolutely no difference, we don't have anything to offer, nothing. That we would be the light and salt in a lost and dying world for the glory of Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.
are so glad you joined us today on The Open Word for Pastor David Landry's verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. You can find more messages from Pastor David and information about The Open Word by visiting our website, theopenword.com. If you're looking for a home church and are in the Casa Grande area, why not join us for a time of worship and Bible study? Calvary Chapel Casa Grande has services each Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. on Wednesdays and Saturdays. You can find location information and directions by going to theopenword.com and following the links to the church homepage. Now here's Pastor David with some information on how you can help support the ministry of The Open Word. Hey, I love being able to share the Word of God with you through this radio ministry. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. I know God is blessing His children through The Open Word, and God has given us a vision to see this ministry expand and reach even further. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to theopenword.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all the time we have for today. But join us again as we continue digging deeper into the book of 1 Corinthians, right here on The Open Word.